0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chapter 23 However small Eleanor's general dependence on Lucy's veracity might be, it was impossible for her on serious reflection to suspect it in the present case— "'where no temptation could be answerable to the folly "'of inventing a falsehood of such a description. "'What Lucy had asserted to be true, therefore, "'Eleanor could not, dared not, longer doubt. "'Supported, as it was, too, on every side "'by such probabilities and proofs, "'and contradicted by nothing but her own wishes. "'Their opportunity of acquaintance in the house of Mr. Pratt "'was a foundation for the rest,' at once indisputable and alarming. An Edward's visit near Plymouth, his melancholy state of mind, his dissatisfaction at his own prospects, his uncertain behavior towards herself, the intimate knowledge of the Miss Steeles as to Norland and their family connections, which had often surprised her. The picture, the letter, the ring, formed altogether such a body of evidence as overcame every fear of condemning him unfairly, and established as a fact which no partiality could set aside, his ill-treatment of herself. Her resentment of such behavior, her indignation at having been its dupe, for a short time made her feel only for herself. But other ideas, other considerations, soon arose. Had Edward been intentionally deceiving her? Had he feigned a regard for her which he did not feel? Was his engagement to Lucy an engagement of the heart? No. Whatever it might once have been, she could not believe it such at present. His affection was all her own. She could not be deceived in that. Her mother, sisters, Fanny, all had been conscious of his regard for her at Norland. It was not an illusion of her own vanity. He certainly loved her. What a softener of the heart was this persuasion! "'how much could it not tempt her to forgive? "'He had been blamable, highly blamable, "'in remaining at Norland after he first felt her influence over him "'to be more than it ought to be. "'In that he could not be defended. "'But if he had injured her, how much more had he injured himself? "'If her case was pitiable, his was hopeless. "'His imprudence had made her miserable for a while,' but it seemed to have deprived himself of all chance of ever being otherwise. She might in time regain tranquility. But he, what had he to look forward to? Could he ever be tolerably happy with Lucy Steele? Could he, were his affection for herself out of the question, with his integrity, his delicacy, and well-informed mind, be satisfied with a wife like her, illiterate, artful, and selfish?' The youthful infatuation of nineteen would naturally blind him to everything but her beauty and good nature. But the four succeeding years, years which, if rationally spent, give such improvement to the understanding, must have opened his eyes to her defects of education, while the same period of time spent on her side in inferior society and more frivolous pursuits had perhaps robbed her of that simplicity which might once have given an interesting character to her beauty." If, in the supposition of his seeking to marry herself, his difficulties from his mother had seemed great, how much greater were they now likely to be, when the object of his engagement was undoubtedly inferior in connections, and probably inferior in fortune to herself? These difficulties, indeed, with a heart so alienated from Lucy, might not press very hard upon his patience, but melancholy was the state of the person by whom the expectation of family opposition and unkindness could be felt as a relief. As these considerations occurred to her in painful succession, she wept for him more than for herself, supported by the conviction of having done nothing to merit her present unhappiness, and consoled by the belief that Edward had done nothing to forfeit her esteem she thought she could even now, under the first smart of the heavy blow, command herself enough to guard every suspicion of the truth from her mother and sisters. And so well was she able to answer her own expectations, that when she joined them at dinner only two hours after she had first suffered the extinction of all her dearest hopes, no one would have supposed from the appearance of the sisters that Eleanor was mourning in secret over obstacles which must divide her, "'forever from the object of her love, "'and that Marianne was internally dwelling "'on the perfections of a man, "'of whose whole heart she felt thoroughly possessed, "'and whom she expected to see in every carriage "'which drove near their house. "'The necessity of concealing from her mother and Marianne "'what had been entrusted in confidence to herself, "'though it obliged her to unceasing exertion, "'was no aggravation of Eleanor's distress.' On the contrary, it was a relief to her to be spared the communication of what would give such affliction to them, and to be saved likewise from hearing that condemnation of Edward, which would probably flow from the excess of their partial affection for herself, and which was more than she felt equal to support. From their counsel or their conversation, she knew she could receive no assistance. Their tenderness and sorrow must add to her distress while her self-command would neither receive encouragement from their example nor from their praise. She was stronger alone, and her own good sense so well supported her that her firmness was as unshaken, her appearance of cheerfulness as invariable, as with regrets so poignant and so fresh, it was as possible for them to be. Much as she had suffered from her first conversation with Lucy on the subject, she soon felt an earnest wish of renewing it, and this for more reasons than one. She wanted to hear many particulars of their engagement repeated again. She wanted more clearly to understand what Lucy really felt for Edward, whether there was any sincerity in her declaration of tender regard for him, and she particularly wanted to convince Lucy by her readiness to enter on the matter again and her calmness in conversing on it that she was no otherwise interested in it than as a friend, which she very much feared her involuntary agitation in their morning discourse must have left at least doubtful. That Lucy was disposed to be jealous of her appeared very probable. It was plain that Edward had always spoken highly in her praise, not merely from Lucy's assertion, but from her venturing to trust her on so short a personal acquaintance with a secret so confessedly and evidently important. And even Sir John's joking intelligence must have had some weight. But, indeed, while Eleanor remained so well assured within herself of being really beloved by Edward, it required no other consideration of probabilities to make it natural that Lucy should be jealous, and that she was so, her very confidence was a proof, What other reason for the disclosure of the affair could there be but that Eleanor might be informed by it of Lucy's superior claims on Edward and be taught to avoid him in future? She had little difficulty in understanding thus much of her rival's intentions, and while she was firmly resolved to act by her as every principle of honor and honesty directed, to combat her own affection for Edward and to see him, as little as possible, she could not deny herself the comfort of endeavouring to convince Lucy that her heart was unwounded. And as she could now have nothing more painful to hear on the subject than had already been told, she did not mistrust her own ability of going through a repetition of particulars with composure. But it was not immediately that an opportunity of doing so could be commanded though Lucy was as well disposed as herself to take advantage of any that occurred. For the weather was not often fine enough to allow of their joining in a walk, where they might most easily separate themselves from the others. And though they met at least every other evening, either at the park or cottage, and chiefly at the former, they could not be supposed to meet for the sake of conversation. Such a thought would never enter either Sir John or Lady Middleton's head, and therefore very little leisure was ever given for a general chat, and none at all for particular discourse. They met for the sake of eating, drinking, and laughing together, playing at cards or consequences, or any other game that was sufficiently noisy. One or two meetings of this kind had taken place without affording Eleanor any chance of engaging Lucy in private. When Sir John called at the cottage one morning to beg in the name of charity that they would all dine with Lady Middleton that day, as he was obliged to attend the club at Exeter, and she would otherwise be quite alone, except her mother and the two Miss Steeles. Eleanor, who foresaw a fairer opening for the point she had in view, in such a party as this was likely to be, more at liberty among themselves under the tranquil and well bred direction of Lady Middleton than when her husband united them together in one noisy purpose, immediately accepted the invitation." Margaret, with her mother's permission, was equally compliant. And Marianne, though always unwilling to join any of their parties, was persuaded by her mother, who could not bear to have her seclude herself from any chance of amusement, to go likewise. The young ladies went, and Lady Middleton was happily preserved from the frightful solitude which had threatened her. The meeting was exactly such as Eleanor had expected. It produced not one novelty of thought or expression, and nothing could be less interesting than the whole of their discourse both in the dining-parlour and drawing-room. To the latter, the children accompanied them, and while they remained there, she was too well convinced of the impossibility of engaging Lucy's attention to attempt it. They quitted it only with the removal of the tea-things. The card-table was then placed, and Eleanor began to wonder at herself for having ever entertained a hope of finding time for a conversation at the park. They all rose up in preparation for a round game. I am glad, said Lady Middleton to Lucy, you are not going to finish poor little Anna Maria's basket this evening, for I am sure it must hurt your eyes to work filigree by candlelight, and we will make the dear little love some amends for her disappointment tomorrow, and then I hope she will not much mind it. "'this hint was enough. "'Lucy recollected herself instantly, and replied, "'Indeed you are very much mistaken, Lady Middleton. "'I am only waiting to know whether you can make your party without me, "'or should I have been at my filigree already. "'I would not disappoint the little angel for all the world. "'And if you want me at the card-table now, "'I am resolved to finish the basket after supper.' "'You are very good. "'I hope it won't hurt your eyes.' "'Will you ring the bell for some working candles?' "'My poor little girl would be sadly disappointed, I know, "'if the basket was not finished tomorrow. "'For though I told her it certainly would not, "'I am sure she depends upon having it done.' "'Lucy directly drew her work-table near her "'and reseated herself with a cheerfulness "'which seemed to infer that she could taste no greater delight "'than in making a filigree basket for a spoiled child.' Lady Middleton proposed a rubber of casino to the others. No one made any objection but Marianne, who, with her usual inattention to the forms of general civility, exclaimed, Your ladyship will have the goodness to excuse me. You know I detest cards. I shall go to the pianoforte. I have not touched it since it was tuned. And without farther ceremony, she turned away and walked to the instrument. Lady Middleton looked as if she thanked heaven that she had never made so rude a speech. "Marianne can never keep long from that instrument, you know, ma'am," said Eleanor, endeavoring to smooth away the offence, "and I do not much wonder at it, for it is the very best tuned pianoforte I ever heard." The remaining five were now to draw their cards. "Perhaps," continued Eleanor, "'If I should happen to cut out, I may be of some use to Miss Lucy Steele "'in rolling her papers for her. "'And there is so much still to be done to the basket "'that it must be impossible, I think, for her labor singly "'to finish it this evening. "'I should like the work exceedingly, if she would allow me a share in it.' "'Indeed, I shall be very much obliged to you for your help,' cried Lucy, "'for I find there is more to be done to it than I thought there was.' and it would be a shocking thing to disappoint dear Anna Maria, after all. "'Oh, that would be terrible indeed,' said Miss Steele. "'Dear little soul, how I do love her!' "'You are very kind,' said Lady Middleton to Eleanor. "'And as you really like the work, perhaps you'll be as well pleased "'not to cut in till another rubber, or will you take your chance now?' "'Eleanor, joyfully profited by the first of these proposals,' and thus by a little of that address which Marianne could never condescend to practice, gained her own end, and pleased Lady Middleton at the same time. Lucy made room for her with ready attention, and the two fair rivals were thus seated side by side at the same table, and with the utmost harmony engaged in forwarding the same work. The pianoforte at which Marianne, wrapped up in her own music and her own thoughts, had by this time forgotten that anybody was in the room besides herself, was luckily so near them that Miss Dashwood now judged she might safely, under the shelter of its noise, introduce the interesting subject without any risk of being heard at the card-table. Chapter 24 In a firm, though cautious tone, Eleanor thus began... I should be undeserving of the confidence you have honored me with if I felt no desire for its continuance or no farther curiosity on its subject. I will not apologize, therefore, for bringing it forward again. Thank you, cried Lucy warmly, for breaking the ice. You have set my heart at ease by it, for I was somehow or other afraid I had offended you by what I told you that Monday. Offended me? How could you suppose so? Believe me. "'and Eleanor spoke it with the truest sincerity. "'Nothing could be farther from my intention "'than to give you such an idea. "'Could you have a motive for the trust "'that was not honorable and flattering to me?' "'And yet I do assure you,' replied Lucy, "'her little sharp eyes full of meaning, "'there seemed to me to be a coldness and displeasure "'in your manner that made me quite uncomfortable. "'I felt sure that you were angry with me "'for having took such a liberty,' as to trouble you with my affairs. But I am very glad to find it was only my own fancy, and that you really do not blame me. If you knew what a consolation it was to me to relieve my heart speaking to you of what I am always thinking of every moment of my life, your compassion would make you overlook everything else I am sure. Indeed, I can easily believe that it was a very great relief to you to acknowledge your situation to me, and be assured that you shall never have reason to repent it. Your case is a very unfortunate one. You seem to me to be surrounded with difficulties, and you will have need of all your mutual affection to support you under them. Mr. Farrow's, I believe, is entirely dependent on his mother. He has only two thousand pounds of his own. It would be madness to marry upon that, though for my own part... "'I could give up every prospect of more without a sigh. "'I have been always used to a very small income, "'and could struggle with any poverty for him. "'But I love him too well to be the selfish means of robbing him, "'perhaps of all that his mother might give him "'if he married to please her. "'We must wait. "'It may be for many years. "'With almost every other man in the world "'it would be an alarming prospect. "'But Edward's affection and constancy... Nothing can deprive me of, I know. That conviction must be everything to you, and he is undoubtedly supported by the same trust in yours. If the strength of your reciprocal attachment had failed, as between many people, and under many circumstances, it naturally would during a four years' engagement, your situation would have been pitiable indeed. Lucy here looked up but Eleanor was careful in guarding her countenance from every expression that could give her words a suspicious tendency. "'Edward's love for me,' said Lucy, "'has been pretty well put to the test by our long, very long absence since we were first engaged, and it has stood the trial so well that I should be unpardonable to doubt it now. I can safely say that he has never gave me one moment's alarm on that account from the first. "'Eleanor hardly knew whether to smile or sigh at this assertion. "'Lucy went on. "'I am rather of a jealous temper, too, by nature, "'and from our different situations in life, "'from his being so much more in the world than me, "'and our continual separation. "'I was enough inclined for suspicion "'to have found out the truth in an instant "'if there had been the slightest alteration "'in his behavior to me when we met, "'or any lowness of spirits that I could not account for.' or if he talked more of one lady than another, or seemed in any respect less happy at Longstaple than he used to be. I do not mean to say that I am particularly observant or quick-sighted in general, but in such a case I am sure I could not be deceived. All this, thought Eleanor, is very pretty, but it can impose upon neither of us. But what, said she after a short silence, are your views or have you none but that of waiting for Mrs. Farrow's death, which is a melancholy and shocking extremity? Is her son determined to submit to this, and to all the tediousness of the many years of suspense in which it may involve you, rather than run the risk of her displeasure for a while by owning the truth? If we could be certain that it would be only for a while, but Mrs. Farrow's is a very headstrong, proud woman, "'and in her first fit of anger upon hearing it "'would very likely secure everything to Robert. "'And the idea of that, for Edward's sake, "'frightens away all my inclination for hasty measures. "'And for your own sake, too.' "'Lucy looked at Eleanor again and was silent. "'Do you know Mr. Robert, Farrow's?' asked Eleanor. "'Not at all. I never saw him. "'But I fancy he is very unlike his brother,' "'Silly, and a great coxcomb.' "'A great coxcomb,' repeated Miss Steele, "'whose ear had caught those words by a sudden pause in Marianne's music. "'Oh, they are talking of their favorite bow, I dare say.' "'No, sister,' cried Lucy, "'you are mistaken there. "'Our favorite bow are not great coxcombs.' "'I can answer for it that Miss Dashwood's is not,' "'said Mrs. Jennings, laughing heartily.' "'for he is one of the modest, prettiest-behaved young men I ever saw. "'But as for Lucy, she is such a sly little creature, "'there is no finding out who she likes.' "'Oh!' cried Miss Steele, looking significantly round at them. "'I dare say Lucy's beau is quite as modest and pretty-behaved as Miss Dashwood's.' "'Eleanor blushed in spite of herself. "'Lucy bit her lip and looked angrily at her sister. "'A mutual silence took place for some time.' Lucy first put an end to it by saying in a lower tone, though Marianne was then giving them the powerful protection of a very magnificent concerto. "'I will honestly tell you of one scheme "'which has lately come into my head "'for bringing matters to bear. "'Indeed, I am bound to let you into the secret, "'for you are a party concerned. "'I dare say you have seen enough of Edward to know "'that he would prefer the church to every other profession.' Now my plan is that he should take orders as soon as he can, and then, through your interest, which I am sure you would be kind enough to use out of friendship for him, and I hope, I have some regard to me, your brother might be persuaded to give him Norland living, which I understand is a very good one, and the present incumbent not likely to live a great while. That would be enough for us to marry upon, and we might trust to time and chance the rest.' "'I should always be happy,' replied Eleanor, "'to show any mark of my esteem and friendship for Mr. Farrow's. "'But do you not perceive that my interest on such an occasion "'would be perfectly unnecessary? "'He is brother to Mrs. John Dashwood. "'That must be recommendation enough to her husband.' "'But Mrs. John Dashwood would not much approve "'of Edward's going into orders. "'Then I rather suspect that my interest would do very little,' They were again silent for many minutes. At length, Lucy exclaimed with a deep sigh, "'I believe it would be the wisest way "'to put an end to the business at once "'by dissolving the engagement. "'We seem so beset with difficulties on every side "'that though it would make us miserable for a time, "'we should be happier, perhaps, in the end. "'But will you not give me your advice, Miss Dashwood?' "'No,' answered Eleanor with a smile, "'which concealed... "'very agitated feelings. "'On such a subject I certainly will not. "'You know very well that my opinion would have no weight with you "'unless it were on the side of your wishes.' "'Indeed you wrong me,' replied Lucy with great solemnity. "'I know nobody of whose judgment I think so highly as I do of yours. "'And I do really believe that if you were to say to me, "'I advise you by all means to put an end to your engagement with Edward Farrow's, "'it will be more for the happiness of both of you. "'I should resolve upon doing it immediately.' "'Eleanor blushed for the insincerity of Edward's future wife, "'and replied, "'This compliment would effectually frighten me "'from giving any opinion on the subject had I formed one. "'It raises my influence much too high. "'The power of dividing two people so tenderly attached "'is too much for an indifferent person.' "'Tis because you are an indifferent person,' said Lucy, "'and laying a particular stress on those words, "'that your judgment might justly have such weight with me. "'If you could be supposed to be biased in any respect "'by your own feelings, your opinion would not be worth having.' "'Eleanor thought it wisest to make no answer to this, "'lest they might provoke each other to an unsuitable increase of ease and unreserve.' and was even, partly determined, never to mention the subject again. Another pause, therefore of many minutes' duration, succeeded this speech, and Lucy was still the first to end it. "'Shall you be in town this winter, Miss Dashwood?' said she, with all her accustomary complacency. "'Certainly not.' "'I am sorry for that,' returned the other, while her eyes brightened at the information. "'It would have gave me such pleasure to meet you there,' "'but I dare say you will go for all that. "'To be sure, your brother and sister "'will ask you to come to them. "'It will not be in my power "'to accept their invitation if they do. "'How unlucky that is! "'I'd quite depended upon meeting you there. Anne and me are to go to the latter end of January "'to some relations who have been wanting us "'to visit them these several years. "'But I only go for the sake of seeing Edward. "'He will be there in February.' Otherwise London would have no charms for me. I have not spirits for it. Eleanor was soon called to the card-table by the conclusion of the first rubber, and the confidential discourse of the two ladies was therefore at an end, to which both of them submitted without any reluctance, for nothing had been said on either side to make them dislike each other less than they had done before. And Eleanor sat down to the card-table with a melancholy persuasion that Edward was not only without affection for the person who was to be his wife, but that he had not even the chance of being tolerably happy in marriage, which sincere affection on her side would have given, for self-interest alone could induce a woman to keep a man to an engagement, of which she seemed so thoroughly aware that he was weary. From this time the subject was never revived by Eleanor, and when entered on by Lucy, who seldom missed an opportunity of introducing it, and was particularly careful to inform her confidant of her happiness whenever she received a letter from Edward, it was treated by the former with calmness and caution, and dismissed as soon as civility would allow. For she felt such conversations to be an indulgence which Lucy did not deserve, and which were dangerous to herself." the visit of the Miss Steeles at Barton Park was lengthened far beyond what the first invitation implied. Their favor increased. They could not be spared. Sir John would not hear of their going, and in spite of their numerous and long-arranged engagements in Exeter, in spite of the absolute necessity of returning to fulfill them immediately, which was in full force at the end of every week, they were prevailed on to stay nearly two months at the park and to assist in the due celebration of that festival which requires a more than ordinary share of private balls and large dinners to proclaim its importance. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.